Bibles today to the book of Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. We have a key verse here in this book in chapter 1 verse 3 in regards to the promise here of a blessing to those that hear, those that read, and those that obey the words of this prophecy, those that keep those things that are written in it because the time is near. And so far, we have been blessed in chapter 1 with the vision of Jesus. We've gazed upon that comprehensive description of our Lord Jesus Christ in his glorified state. What a blessing that has been for us. We've been blessed also in chapters 2 and 3 as we've gone over the seven churches. And how here, the Lord has a message for each church. The Lord has a message for each Christian to challenge us, to wake us up, to go back to him, to wake us up, to be able to be ready for his return. In chapter 4, we receive the blessing of understanding and knowing the rapture, that the rapture brings us as the church a great hope, that before God judges this world, he's going to rapture or take up his church, rapture us before the wrath and the judgment that is to come. And then we get a description in that very chapter, chapter 4 of heaven, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures worshiping the Lord and casting their crowns before the throne of God. And then chapter 5, where they cry out that song, worthy is the lamb who was slain, who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the lamb that is worthy to open up the seal, the scroll that has the seals now. Only he who has redeemed the world, only he who is able to carry out those things that are written in it, is able to now unseal that scroll. And that's where we left off last week, speaking of now that scroll and the seals. Now the seals mean judgment, and we spoke of that last week. That we have seven seals in this scroll. And in each, as each seal now is taken off of the scroll, what this means is that judgment is coming upon and the wrath of God is coming upon the world. And finally, these seven seals will lead us to the seven trumpets that lead to more wrath and to more judgment. And after the seven trumpets, we have the seven bold judgments. What do they tell us? More judgment that is coming from the Lord as the world has never seen. And finally, we see them all leading up to the redemption now of this world that Christ would come, the second coming. And what would happen there is that we would have victory over the devil and the demons forever. They no longer would have dominion over this world, and they would be cast out to the lake of fire. Now, I want you to know that today we are coming to chapter 6, and we've titled this message, The Beginning of the End. If you like taking notes, write that down tonight, the beginning of the end. Why? Because with every seal that is broken, it signifies more judgment. And after every seal, after every judgment, it's it's progressively intensifying. The first seal is open right after the rapture of the church, and then the tribulation period begins. A lot of people ask themselves, well, will we be here during the great tribulation? Well, no, God in his word is faithful and his grace is always now showing us through this word that he doesn't judge the world or judge sin with the righteous as well. Do you remember in the Old Testament where the Lord spared Noah and his family as he judged the world? 
Or how the Lord spared Lot when he judged Sodom and Gomorrah. So we too know that the church in Revelation chapter 4 is raptured. Now is spared from the wrath to come. How many of us are grateful to the Lord that we are going to be raptured before the tribulation period begins? Amen. It was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones that said this. My whole outlook upon everything that happens to me should be governed by these three things. My realization of who I am, my consciousness of where I'm going, and my knowledge of what awaits me when I get there. Just think about that. Everything in my life should be governed by those things. Who I am, where I'm going, and what awaits me when I get there, heaven. Having a perspective of heaven. Now, heaven is described to us in chapter 4 and 5. And this description of heaven, it's, it's, it's filled with worship now, but it's only in preparation for the wrath that is described now from chapter 6 to chapter now 19. So as we open up here, chapter 6, we're going to see that after worship comes the judgment. And they go together. Oftentimes when we read these chapters of worship and judgment, we, we say, well, how can they go together? We have to understand the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. That everything he does, he does judge with a purpose. He has an ultimate plan that he wants to accomplish. Nothing is done by accident. Everything is done on purpose. There were, I heard a story of a cowboy that went to look for health insurance. And as he went to look for health insurance, the representative asked him, you know, have you ever had any accidents, sir? said, no, I've never had any accidents. He said, are you sure you've never been hurt? He said, well, once a horse kicked me on the side, broke two of my ribs, and a snake bit me as well. He said, you wouldn't consider those accidents? He said, no, I think they did that on purpose. <laughs> Nothing that God does, he does it on accident. He does everything with a divine purpose. So why is it that we mention this is because this book is not only about prophecy. This book is also about theology so that we understand the character of God, that in his love, in his holiness, in his justice now, he now judges sin. He judges the world. He's been very patient. Think about this. For, for since eternity's past, and now through the creation of the world, through the fall of man, he's been very patient with the world. <laughs> There's going to be a time when he raptures his church, that the tribulation is going to begin, and there the wrath of God is going to come. And you know what you're going to see? The holy justice of God. Everybody today wants to talk about social justice, but what about holy justice? The holy justice that comes from God. We need to understand what God is accomplishing here. Because what happens here after this, the seventh seal that we're going to read out, the trumpets go off, the bold judgments go off, and then the second coming of Jesus, which leads to the millennium kingdom reign, where the Lord establishes peace on earth for a thousand years. So this is an action-packed chapter. This is what everyone's been waiting for now. <laughs> when we think about the book of Revelation, we think of these chapters. What are they to do to us? What is, it, what is it to you tonight, believer, Christian? It should encourage you to live a life with expectancy of his return. It should encourage every generation that Jesus is coming again. So these are the events of the future. 
Someone once said, the reason why we are so intrigued with the future, it's because that's where we'll live for the rest of our lives. So this here is the future. It is Daniel chapter 9, the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, a seven-year prophetic calendar where the tribulation begins and a dictator signs a peace treaty called the Antichrist before Christ comes to judge the world in his second coming. So we see two things that are going to happen in this chapter. Number one, the retribution. And secondly, the response. Let's read Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard out of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice, like thunder, come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse who sat on it and a bow and a crown that was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he had opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, a fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that the people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard one of the third living creatures say, Come and see. And I looked, behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures saying, Come and see. So I looked and behold, a pale horse in the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed him. And power was given to him over the fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we ask right now, Lord, that you would show us, that you would teach us. Lord, that we would wake up, Lord, that we would wake up to the truth of judgment, of holy judgment. Lord, that you are teaching us, Lord, your character. Lord, that you will judge sin. That you judge sin. That because you are a loving God, because you are a just God, because you are a God full of grace and mercy, it is in your character to judge sin. And Lord, that we would live with an expectancy, Lord, of your return that we would live with an expectancy of the rapture, with an eternal perspective, God, that everything you do, you do on purpose, that you are in control, that things are falling in place. So wake us up to this tonight in Jesus' name. Together we said, amen. Now, as we read this seal and we describe what's taking place, we're going to be introduced first off to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Many times you've seen those images and you looked online or maybe you've seen a, a, a movie or, or, or somewhere describe the four horsemen of the apocalypse now. And this begins the introduction of the retribution. I, I pray you brought a, a pencil and a pen today, a notebook to write down notes as to what these things mean. Because here it begins, and when I saw the lamb, that he opened now the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. Now, here we have these angelic beings that we have already been introduced to. And it describes the angelic beings in chapter 4 and 5. But it says that John here, as he is in heaven before the throne room of God, 
And, and the Lamb of God, now that was slain, now takes off the, four, the first seal from the scroll. The first living creature says, come and see with a voice of thunder and with a voice of authority. Now think about this. It is from heaven that these events are being directed by God. We have to understand that. Who was it that did unseal that scroll? It was the Lamb of God. Who was it that announced the first seal has been taken off, removed? It was one of the four living creatures. God is directing these events from his throne, from his sovereignty. He is overseeing this all. This is God's judgment. He's overseeing it. So what happens after this in verse 1? It says, saying with a loud voice, come and see. Verse 2, and I looked and behold, he saw something. He paid attention. A white horse and he who sat on it with a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. What was it that he saw here? He, he looks up and he saw a white horse. Now, a rider on a white horse. And the Bible describes a horse, every time a horse is described for war, it's associated with, with triumph. It's associated with victory. It's associated with majesty, with power, uh, someone that is willing to go into to conquer, to conquest. And it speaks of this rider on this white horse that had a bow and a, a crown was placed on his head. Now, that word crown in its original Greek word is Stephanos which means a leaf crown. It's a crown of victory, a crown that you would give someone when they would win in the Greek Olympian games, in the Roman games. They would give, be given those, that wreath leaf of crowns, of, of a crown. But it signifies here that it was not a sovereign crown. It was a temporary crown. And why is it important for us to see that? Because oftentimes you read this chapter and you read the first seal and you see that white horse now and the rider on it with that bow and that crown and we think automatically, it sounds like it's Jesus. <laughs> well, it's not Jesus. It's one that tries to imitate Jesus. It's an imposter that looks to resemble the Messiah and looks to resemble Christ. In fact, the devil comes through the Antichrist here on a white horse because this is exactly the same as what Jesus would come. In Revelation 19, he would be coming riding on a white horse, but with a sword. <laughs> Do you see oftentimes how the enemy always distorts the truth and looks to deceive people? He says, I'm gonna see how close I can get to the truth, but not truly be the truth. Not actually be the real thing. Here you see the enemy coming on a white horse. He has a bow now. Not a sword, he's a counterfeit, he's an imposter now, and he went out conquering and to conquer, to win many battles and victory. Now notice his bow, now his arrow, his bow here has no arrows. What does this mean? How is he going to conquer if he has a bow but it has no arrows? Well, here you see that as the Antichrist shows up on the scene, after the rapture of the church, he's going to come to conquer the minds of people with deception. So he doesn't need the arrows. He just uses a bow. He comes to overcome the mind of man. And what happens here? He's given political power, this Antichrist. And he comes here. The first seal introduces us to the false peace that the Antichrist would bring. So when you think of the first seal, think of false peace. Why is it that people are going to need false peace? Because we're all going to be missing <laughs> And they're going to say, what happened to all those people? 
Uh, one moment they were here and they're gone now. And notice a political charismatic leader is going to rise up and show up on the scene and deceive many now with now a peace treaty that he would come and bring nations together, right? With unprecedented power, he's going to attempt to replace the Messiah with satanic power of the devil, right? And he's going to want to come and, and make people think that he's the Messiah. In fact, the Bible says that he's going to make a peace treaty with the Jewish people. And he's just going to look to rebuild their temple. He's going to look to rebuild their temple. And finally, the Jewish people are going to believe this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. But what is it, the force that the Antichrist comes with? False peace. Why is it false peace? Because of the source that it's coming from. Because it's coming from the wrong place. Because it's not a lasting peace. And he begins as a peacemaker. Notice this in the first seal, as it introduces the Antichrist, he begins as a peacemaker. But at three and a half years, he's going to be there on that temple. After three and a half years, he's going to tell people and demand their worship and then persecute the Christians. You know, one commentator said this, the Antichrist will have the oratorical skills of John Kennedy, the inspirational power of Winston Churchill, the, ter the determination of John Stalin, and the vision of Karl Marx. You have the respectability of Gandhi, the military power of Douglas MacArthur, and the charm of Will Rogers, and the genius of King Solomon. This is going to be a man that attempts to manufacture and counterfeit the second coming. The Bible says that even those that knew the truth will be deceived. You see, but he is a fake imposter versus Jesus who is true and who is faithful. And we know that because his word tells us so. Now, wasn't it in John chapter 5, verse 43 that Jesus said, and I have come in my father's name and you don't receive me? And if another one comes in his own, him you will receive? He was saying, I know that you're going to receive others that come. You reject me, but you're going to accept he who is false. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. It speaks of this lawless one. It says, in the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. He's going to be possessed by Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So first he comes with a false sense of peace. And then you see later on through those seven years of tribulation that he begins to do signs and wonders so that people can follow him and believe him. What happens to the Antichrist as the seven years continue? He rises in power more and more as a dictator. He rises in power. He controls. Every time you see one of the seals removed, the Antichrist is rising and growing in power. But notice what happens after the second seal is removed here in verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature come and see. And notice what happens here. You see another horseman, another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that the people should kill one another, and that was given to him a great sword. Now, what does the first seal represent? False peace. False peace. The second seal represents war. It represents war. Now, the Bible tells us that during this time of tribulation, it's going to be a time like no other. It's going to be a period of time called the day of the Lord. In fact, Daniel chapter 
12, verse 1 describes it this way. And at that time, Michael shall stand up, the archangel, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble as such was never since the nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Now notice what happens. It's going to be a time as no one has ever seen before, but it's going to be a time also of war, of war here. Now notice what happens here. This horse that appeared was fiery red. Why is it fiery red? Because it symbolizes terror. Fiery red because it symbolizes bloodshed now. And he's going to, now the, as the Antichrist comes, there's a false sense of peace, but then comes the war. Because that peace was false. It wasn't true peace. And, and the, the rider would come with, with authority. And, and notice what happens. It's granted to the one who sat on him, that rider, to take peace from the earth. What happens when peace is removed from the earth? What does that provoke? War. War. When peace is removed from the world, then it, it provokes now war. Uh, and it's not going to be just a war between one nation or another nation. It's going to be global warfare. Notice it describes this time in verse 4. It says that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. And you can just imagine what kind of war it's going to be. It's not going to be like the war that you see right now on, uh, on the news. It's going to be something at a different level. You consider the weapons that now technology has given us, bioweapons. You consider the atomic weapons, the nuclear weapons that are in existence that the nations have right now. It's speaking of a war that involves weapons of mass destruction. In fact, it, it describes this type of war. It says there's going to be given to him, that writer, in that seal, in that time, a great mighty sword. You see, when you look and you study that word, a great sword, it speaks of a stabbing sword. It speaks of a sword that was given to a Roman that would go and carry that little sword into battle. It was a specific sword that was prized by assassins. Just think about a time when it was going to be a time of rebellion, a time of revolt, a time of massacres. It's not going to be like anything you've seen in any movie. It's not going to be like anything that you've seen in the news of war. It's going to be something at a completely different level because peace is going to be lifted from the earth. Now think about what happens when the Holy Spirit is lifted from the world. And then when this writer comes on the scene and no longer is there any type of peace on this earth. We think over the last year, two years and a half, few decades that we've been so divided. <laughs> no, it's nothing compared to the division that's going to be taking place during this time. And the war is going to be so bad that it's going to lead, it's going to go from war to that third seal, from war to famine. Why? Because God is judging this earth. People are going to be killing one another, and the wars are going to be so devastating that it's going to lead to famine. What is the third seal? Describe the scarcity that was going to be taking place on this earth. The scarcity that's going to be taking place on this earth. As this judgment is coming, notice what takes place here. Verse 5, let's look at the seal. Let's pay attention to what's happening here. Because it says, and he opened the third seal. And I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. 
And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and a three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the olive oil and the wine. Because of the false peace, because of the war, now there's famine. And the black horse, notice what it represents, suffering. It represents suffering. What is it that this rider has on his hands? Scales in his hands. That describes the different weights as to what things are going to be worth and how much things are going to cost. It's going to now be a time of worldwide famine. Notice what takes place here. He said, I heard a voice. And notice what this voice describes here in these verses here, in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. It really here, it speaks of a loaf of bread that feeds one person. This is what it's describing here. A loaf of bread that feeds one person is going to cost a day's worth of wage. Just think, you think today's expensive. You drive by a gas station. Well, man, the gas prices are going up. It says the loaf of bread that would feed one person is going to cost them their entire day's worth of wage. Why does he have scales? Because the scales are going to become very heavy. And there's going to be a shortage of food, a shortage of supplies, which would drive prices up in inflation. In fact, it describes an inflation of some 12 times higher than what it normally is. So it says, don't waste the oil and the wine. Why? Because only those that are rich and wealthy would survive during this time. And you know what? It's going to happen here that the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to control the economy as he promises to feed those that are hungry. And he's going to come and control not only the food, but also supplies, goods, so that you depend on the government. Notice what happens. So that you depend on the government to live. This is a picture of, of great desperation. A great desperation. A picture of great desperation. And we ask ourselves, man, what, what, what's happening here? I mean, even today, you see how much food costs now, how much the gas prices cost. I mean, last year, people were fighting for toilet paper. <laughs> and you start to think about this. In order to have a one-world government, in order to, to now establish a one-world economy, what has to happen if, we want to, if one would want to establish a one-world economy, what has to happen to the economy first? It has to crash. Everything has to break, everything has to break up. Everything has to be now crashing now in, in the economy so that someone comes and says, I have the solution to everything now. Let me rebuild it. Let me bring a one world government and also a one world economy. You know, it's interesting as we look at these verses because it speaks to the conditioning and the control that's taking place in the world right now. Think about the conditioning that what is taking place, that the that what is the Lord and his sovereignty, what he's allowing. The control that the government wants to have on people. So that one day in your mind, as you be, are being conditioned, the world is being conditioned, notice what happens. What, what is the Antichrist going to say? You want to buy some food? Okay, I'll sell you food. You need to have my mark. And slowly conditioning the minds of people now and things as things are falling into place so that God is now ready to do what? To, rapture his church. But look at this seal now as we go to the fourth seal because 
it gets worse for every seal. In the fourth seal, verse 7, it says, And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. In verse 8, So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. The name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. What is it that this fourth seal described death on the earth? Death on the earth. It said, I looked and I saw a horse, and the color of a horse was pale now. You know what pale represents? Almost as a green-looking like color as of a corpse, as of a corpse. And the name of the rider on that horse meant death. And was the companion of it? Hades or the grave. Why? Because death claims the body and Hades claims the soul of the dead or that's where you go after you die. And here what's happening here, you see that power was given. Notice what it takes place here in this verse A. Power was given over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword. Not only with sword, but with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Now just think about that. One fourth of the population of the world is going to be killed through these means. One fourth, people gone dead. Why? Because the judgment of the wrath of God is coming upon the sins of the world. How is it going to be? Through sword, through wars, through hunger, through death. And what is it? Why does it say there this? Last word here, and by the beasts of the earth. Well, you know what it speaks there, what it gives reference to, to pestilences. And people are going to die because of plagues, because of diseases that are causing death. Now, you notice what we're seeing here is we're seeing that the wrath of God is coming, and there is no mercy, there's nowhere to run. Now, it's going to be a time where conquering tyrants would bring the world war, famine, and pestilence as it describes it. And at the beginning, the world is going to believe the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will be everything the world says it wants. Well, this is someone we want. Look at how charismatic he is. Well, it seems that he get, he's making everyone get along now. It seems like the United Nations now have come to a peace treaty and there's no more wars. It's a false sense of peace at the beginning. And he's going to be everything that the world thinks that they want. But notice, from the beginning of time and even right now into eternity's future, Jesus is everything the world needs. Jesus is the everything that the world needs. What did Jesus say in John chapter 6, verse 35? And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He is the bread of life. He is who we need to be satisfied as he is the faithful and true one. Now, what, we, what happens here after the seal is that we reach the middle of the tribulation. And, and here what takes place is that the Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel and becomes their persecutor instead of their protector. It describes this in Daniel chapter 9. He demands to be worshipped. So here we see as the fifth seal is opened, notice what happens. The fifth seal is opened and you see the cry of the martyrs. 
These describe them. We're going to talk about them even in chapter 7. Later on in Revelation, they come up again. They're called the tribulation saints. Did you write that down? The tribulation saints. And notice what happens here. At this point, a great persecution begins. And it's a persecution because the Antichrist is coming against those that are staying faithful now or have come to know Jesus during the time of the tribulation. Do you see how good God is, the grace of God? I mean, it's incredible, the grace of God, that even after he raptures his church, he's going to send witnesses. The word of God is going to spread like wildfire on this earth because people are going to know that this is the judgment of God and there are going to be some that were left behind that are going to turn to Jesus. And notice what's going to happen. They're going to be heavily persecuted like no other time because they're refusing to pledge allegiance to the Antichrist and take the mark of the beast. So because of that, many will be martyred. In fact, it says of this in verse 9, it says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they had. What happens here? In this period of time known as the Great Tribulation, he says, I saw under the altar the souls of those that had been martyred or maturos. What does this mean now? It's someone who gives their life or someone who gives a testimony or their life as a witness. And these were the souls in verse 10 of those that had died for the faith. In fact, it says here that they saw them under now the altar. In the Old Testament, what happened here, it, it describes a, a sacrifice. And what would the, the priests do? They, they would go and they would go to the altar and sacrifice a lamb for their sins, right? But what happened to that blood? It would drip down the altar. That was the sacrifice. So the reason that it describes them this way under the altar, because it describes their lives. They sacrificed their lives because of their faith. Now think about this. They sacrifice their lives because of their faith. They live their lives for the glory of God during the tribulation period. Who are these people? Those that were left behind after the rapture. And what, what, what takes place here that we know that the price of salvation after the rapture, what's going to happen as the Bible tells us that you're going to have to die for your faith. But notice that that's going to be better than taking the mark of the beast. <laughs> That's going to be better than taking the mark of the beast. A lot of people say, you know what? If, I have to, if I'm left behind, then you know what? I'll just die for my faith. I'll, I'll be bold. I'll die for my faith. I won't take the mark if I'm left behind. I'll die for my faith. If you can't live for Christ today, how are you going to die for him later? But it's going to take those that truly are following the Lord, that they're going to be slain by the enemy because they're witnesses of the truth. This represents all that laid down their lives, that refused the mark. And notice what their prayer is in verse 10. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, the souls on the altar in heaven, they're crying out. They have been martyred and their soul is in heaven. It says, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. So as that seal is removed, that fifth seal, he sees the souls of those that have been martyred under the altar and they're crying out and they're praying to the Lord and saying, oh, holy and true sovereign God, you, that you're in control. When will you avenge us? Not if, but when. 
Lord, when will you avenge us or blood? They knew that God's word was final. They, as their souls were under that altar, you know what they're saying? Lord, when are you going to now strike the enemy? When will you redeem the world and let it be final? You see, they knew that God's kingdom would be established. In fact, they're saying, Lord, when are you going to avenge us? In fact, what they're praying is, Lord, your kingdom come now on this earth. Let's see you bring now your wrath upon this earth. And what are they doing? They're praying. Why? Because prayer is that force that moves the hand of God. Prayer is the force that moves the hand of God. What are they saying? Lord, you take vengeance on our behalf. Bring vengeance upon the earth. And then it takes us to verse 11. It says, then a white robe was given to each of them, these martyrs, these tribulation saints, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would have been killed as they were, as they were was completed. What, what does this mean, that the number? What does that mean? It says that they were given white robes, robes of righteousness, and says, you know what? Just rest a little while in heaven until a number of those that are going to be killed, until that number is completed, and joins you now until that number is fully completed. The Lord knows who that number is, what that number is. And then after that number is completed of those that came to know Jesus and those that their lives were given as an offering and a sacrifice because they were martyred for their faith was completed and final. Notice what's gonna happen, it says. Then the Lord is going to redeem now, bring ultimate redemption of this earth. But notice what it says, the souls of the martyrs. The souls, would you underline that word there? The souls. Why? Because the soul is the most important part of us. The soul. It's the part that's going to live in eternity. The Bible says in the Gospels that Jesus even said, the man gain the whole world and lose his soul. What is it that we're living for? We're we living because our souls one day are going to be in heaven. So then you see a sixth seal take place here after the cry of the martyrs. And it says, and I look, and when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell on the earth as fig tree drops in its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And the sky receded as a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. I want you to look at verse 13 and look at that word shaken. Things are going to be shaken up on this earth. Things are going to be lifted up out of and rolled up out of their place. There's going to be a movement now, a physical movement. Here in the sixth seal is describing worldwide convulsions and catastrophes. That everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Every seal intensifies even greater. There's going to be an earthquake. This is the first of three major earthquakes that you see happen in the book of Revelation as a part of judgment. And the sun, it says, is going to become as black as clothing. There's going to be a darkness. It's going to be pitch dark as, as you've never seen before. And the moon would become like blood. Now, now notice as, as we read these things, in Luke chapter 21, verse 11, Jesus warns. Jesus, by his grace, warns. Luke 21, 11, he says, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, in famines and pestilences, there will be fearful signs, great signs from heaven. 
What are the great signs from heaven? It says that stars are going to fall from the sky. It's interesting that scientists even today study the stars and the meteorites that, that potentially will, will hit the earth. But it says, you know what? Things, the, the stars are going to fall like figs. And they're going to be shaken like a mighty wind. The, skin, the, the sky, it says here, is going to be rolled up like a scroll. It's going to be split apart the atmosphere. And mountains and islands are going to be moved out of their place. Things are going to be moved out of the place. Now think about this, this cataclysmic destruction that will take place. But notice what's interesting about all of this when we get to verse 15. And the kings of the earth and great, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in caves in the rocks of the mountains. It didn't matter if you were poor, if you were rich, if you were slave or you were free, no one can escape God's judgment and God's response to sin. It's not gonna matter who you are. During this time, during this, this time of judgment, it's not going to matter what you did. It's not going to matter who you are. It's not going to matter what status you have, how much money you have, or how much money you don't have. It says they all go hide out in the rocks, and in caves, and in mountains. Verse 15, what are they hiding from? They're hiding from the judgment of God. I'm gonna, I want to tell you something today. You cannot hide from God's judgment. We cannot hide from judgment of sin. We cannot hide from the face of the living God. What does the Bible say? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. <laughs> and these people here are, are looking to hide. In fact, notice what they say. And they said to the mountains, verse 16, instead of crying out to God, instead of repenting, instead of saying, I'm willing to give my life for Christ, you know what they're doing? They're rebelling. Their hearts are becoming very hard. And they're crying out to the mountains. And notice what's going to happen. They're hiding out because there's going to be a fear that this sixth seal is bringing upon this earth a fear like there's never been before. So they're hiding out now. But regardless of how much they hide, they cannot escape this judgment. And they cry out to the mountains instead of crying out to God. What are they crying out to the mountains? And notice what they say. And rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of, his, of, of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Hide us from what, it says. Hide us from the face Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Isn't that the same thing that oftentimes people do today? When they see the judgment of God on sin, what are they saying? I want to hide from the face of him who sits on the throne. I want to hide from the wrath of the Lamb. Instead of saying, I'm going to now surrender, I'm going to Go to the Lord and, and repent now. Notice what they do, they hide. And that word is very powerful there as we look at it. It says that they, they hide now. They look and they try to hide from the face of God. They try to hide from the judgment that is to come. I want to tell you something. You know why people hide? Because sin makes you want to hide from God. Sin makes you want to hide from God. Fear makes you want to hide from God. Unbelief makes you want to hide from God. Instead of running to God, they're running away from God. And notice, this is proof that judgment itself cannot change the human heart. It has to take a personal decision of conviction. They're saying, you know what, Lord, I receive that correction. I receive the judgment. Lord, I'm going to respond, and I want to seek the face of God instead of running away from it. 
What happens to them right here? That they have nowhere to escape. It says that their hearts become callous and they hide instead of repent. Now notice verse 17, as we come to a close of this chapter, it says, for the great day of his wrath has come. They know where the wrath is coming from. Isn't that interesting here, that they know where the wrath is coming from? It's not like they don't know what's happening. <laughs> the world will know that this is the wrath of God. The world will know that this is the judgment of God. It says, we want to hide from the face of him who's sitting on the throne. The wrath of the Lamb has come. And it says, and who is able to stand? Who's able to stand up against that type of wrath? Let's hide out instead. Because the great day of his wrath has come. You see, they're going to recognize those that would say that it is the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of Jesus. But notice, they won't be able to stand. Why? Because you can only stand on his grace. Me and you, us, as we are here today, we can stand in the face of this great wrath of God. We can stand even right now because Jesus already paid that wrath on the cross for our sins. In fact, it is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, it says, I have written you briefly, Peter says, exhorting you and testifying, this is the true grace of God in which you stand. So what can we do today? Even as we read these seals, as they're opening up, and, and we start to see the, that the Christ has warned us. I mean, look at Matthew chapter 24. I want you to write this down so that you would see it and study it later. Matthew 24, Jesus speaks about Revelation chapter 6. <laughs> It is almost as if he prophesied it in Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew 24, he speaks of, in verse 4 and 5, false Christ. False Christ. Isn't this the same thing as the white horse rider, the Antichrist? Then in Matthew 24, he speaks of the tribulation of wars in verse 6. It's the same as the red horse rider that would bring war here in chapter 6 of Revelation. Jesus spoke about famines and the pale horse would bring famine on this earth. And then he spoke about death, which would take place now as well. Death would come on this earth. Jesus said that there's going to be some who are going to give their lives or their faith. Matthew 24, verse 9, martyrs. And here in Revelation 6, it also describes the martyrs. Then in verse 10 to verse 13 of Matthew 24, he speaks of worldwide chaos, a chaotic world in society. What does it speak to us here in Revelation 6? Worldwide destruction. Worldwide destruction. Now what's awesome is at the end, after he's shared with them this entire now prophecy of what is to come, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. Matthew 24, verse 35. But my words will by no means pass away. What can we do today as the church? We can hold on to his word that doesn't pass away. Amen. So today, what do we say as those that would say, hide us from the face of God? Today, we're not going to say, hide us from the face of God. Today, as the psalmist in Psalms 27, verse 8, what did he say? When you said, seek my face. Today, the Lord is saying, seek my face. Seek my face, church, that you would not be left behind. Seek my face that you would be sure, that you would be ready, that you would be exhorted, encouraged. Seek my face. What is psalm, the psalmist said, my heart said to you, my, your face, Lord, I will seek. Can we say that tonight? Lord, your face, I will seek. Lord, your face, I will seek that we are ready for the rapture and the coming of Jesus Christ.
Can we pray it?